Now you're trying to do something that's not truly important to you, but you're simply trying to do it because it seems cool. And because it's not truly important to you, you don't walk your talk. To get really honest with yourself about what your real values are, what your real purpose is, like what's really important to you, and also get real about who you are, where you are, and also who you're not and where you're not. I'm a fan of sustainable, long-term solutions that actually will provide dividends over the long term rather than some short term fix. Today's episode is part of a segment I do called Conversations with Coaches. In these episodes, I bring on coaches that I personally work with. These people have helped me make powerful shifts and manage some of the most challenging times in my own life over the past 10 years. So I felt it would be so valuable to bring them on and have some conversations around the topics that so many of us face on the path to designing our own world-class lives. Hello, Jean. Thank you so much for giving us your time and being on the show today. So before this episode, I had put out to my audience a question asking them what they were struggling with. And something that came up from so many people was the topic of self-worth, self-esteem, worthiness, not feeling worthy. And first of all, I want to just say to the listeners and to the audience who actually submitted those answers, thank you for that um, vulnerable share because I was surprised by how many people actually brought that up. And by giving that answer, you know, we're able to create this content that can help hopefully you and other people who maybe either don't even realize they're struggling with this issue or maybe don't feel comfortable to share it. So I just really wanted to thank the audience for actually submitting this. And Jean, I'd love to get into this topic with you and get your take on it. Well, hello, Taz. Yes, it is, it is a topic that has a lot of misconception and a lot of nuance that is often overlooked. So where I want to start is the difference, if any, between self-worth and self-esteem. There's a lot of misconception on this because we, we, we've been conditioned to associate feelings like confidence with self-esteem. And we hear things like, it's good to be proud of yourself. But we don't often pause to reflect that there is a massive difference between self-esteem and confidence and true self-worth. I think as an initial premise or definition, I think we'll start with the basics and say self-esteem is something that is very fleeting very transient, something that you can't really rely on for a true reflection of how you actually view yourself and your true self-worth. I want to define as something that is a lot more unconditional and steady. Um, and I guess the, the, the first kind of example to share in that regard is I could potentially tell you your whole life how beautiful you are, how clever you are, how amazing you are. And you may never believe a word of it and actually truly take it to heart and actually truly perceive yourself that way, which shows us that how other people perceive us doesn't really shift our actual self-worth. It may give us a momentary sense of elation and pride and feeling good about ourselves, but that pride is immediately balanced within a secret private sense of shame 
that you know secretly that you're actually also unattractive. You're actually also unintelligent. And the more we get people to kind of admire us and create that sense of self-esteem, the more we create that kind of split in our private and public persona. And we try now be more of those traits that get us to feel confident, feel high self-esteem, get more admiration and become more and more ashamed and feel like a bit of a fraud for our private persona that we know we actually have the other half. But I'm going to stop there and see what else you want to go before I go too deep in that. So, Jean, you know what? I think that's a great place to start. And I think that we should go deeper into this because the misconceptions around it are probably what is causing so many people to struggle. So there's there's no point in moving on from here. I'd love to go deeper into this. And immediately what came to my mind um, when you were saying, you know, someone can tell you you are all these things, you are beautiful, you're intelligent, all of this. And if you don't intrinsically feel that way, it's never going to do the job, okay? And immediately what I thought of is like people who are very public. So whether this is an actor, a singer, people who are really in the public eye. And from what you're saying, I think maybe a lot of what some of those people, obviously some of these people just have a true um, love for what they do. But I'm imagining that that shows up what you're saying shows up a lot in that kind of an industry. Would you agree? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, this is so many different angles to go with that. I think if I may just step back for a second and let's just, because there's so many um, variables to unpack here. If I can just lay as a foundation that, let's just call it that there's a vicious cycle, a downward spiral in our self-esteem, and then there's going to be a virtuous cycle, an upward spiral. And let's have the vicious cycle represent how not to build self-worth, like what, what gets in the way of building self-worth. And the vicious cycle I'm going to refer to as the kind of self-esteem cycle, where if you were to ask me, what is the way to guarantee that you stagnate your self-worth? I would say, well, you want to do everything you can to put other people on pedestals. You want to do everything you can to admire, infatuate with, and subordinate with other people, meaning you want to ignore their downside. You, you want to have a confirmation bias of, you know, I'm being a bit facetious, but like a real Taylor Swift fan or a Justin Bieber fan, where you're just constantly telling yourself and reminding and confirming how amazing they are. And you want to, you want to resist when anybody tells you they've got any downsides, like we often do when we're infatuated with a new romantic partner. And the more you exaggerate their admired parts, the more you kind of open yourself up to them and their identity and how they demonstrate their life and what's important to them. And, and to put it simple, what they define as cool and successful. And to give it a more specific term, you may then inject those priorities, inject their values. And now through your self-minimized state relative to them being above you, they're, they're on the pedestal, you now feel less than them you inject their values and you try be like them. You try do what they do. You try mirror them. You try get their approval by being who they are. And the first kind of hurdle in self-worth is now you're trying to do something that's not truly important to you, but you're simply trying to do it because it seems cool. 
And because it's not truly important to you, you don't walk your talk. So you start feeling a bit of a shame, a bit of a fraud, sometimes a bit of imposter syndrome. And because it's not important to you, you don't love it enough to embrace challenges. So when it's difficult, you give up. So now you don't trust yourself. You don't feel you can rely on yourself to overcome difficulty, to solve problems. So now you don't feel like you have value to yourself. Now, because you feel like crap about yourself and you feel so less than because you've exaggerated other people, your knee-jerk reaction is to compensate by exaggerating yourself. Because the more people admire you and they see a positive side of you, one form of exaggerating who you truly are is now trying to be that all the time. I get my how intelligent I am, how successful I am. Now I'm going to try and exaggerate the truth by pretending that I'm more successful than failing, more intelligent than unintelligent. The heightened self-esteem that comes from being admired for those positive parts, like I said, makes me feel ashamed for my opposite traits, my unintelligent side. And I'm going to come back to that later. But that's the first split of now. I'm trying to exaggerate myself to compensate for how crappy I feel relative to my minimization of those I admire. And I think I just want to jump in here if, if that's okay, because I immediately just uh, thought of myself in this situation and I've caught myself doing this, um, for example, within the fitness industry and with social media, you see these um what you perceive to be more successful people who are doing certain things and you feel like this is really working and you immediately feel like, okay, that's what I need to do. And I have caught myself not even once, but multiple times, I would say even daily. And now I'm just able to catch myself a little bit quicker and stop it. But it's so, so easy to see those people. You see what you perceive as success. You're seeing one side of them, especially when we're seeing these things on social media, because that is a curated platform. And you're thinking, okay, I want that. You're not thinking of either what goes into that, which is possibly, like you said, not true to you. So you're not going to have the stamina to do it. Um, and you're not thinking of if that is even truly what you want to put out into the world. So I just want to really, I just want to give that, you know, practical, like where I have experienced exactly what you're saying. And like I said, this happens still daily. And I have to realize, no, no, no. You're falling into the comparison game like this is not you. And exactly what you said about the imposter syndrome as well. It's like when you're putting out, let's say, beautiful content or maybe you're in a public space. And of course, when you're in a public space, for me, I'm trying to look a certain way. I want to be dressed a certain way and look a certain way. And then I'll automatically, if I have to run out to the shops <laughs> to quickly go buy like eggs, <laughs> I'm so terrified that someone's going to see me and then see, oh, and that's what you actually look like when you're not putting in effort. And I see how me, you know, trying to put on this persona sometimes causes automatically that anxiety of people seeing the other side. Exactly. And, and, and that's why imposter syndrome is often experienced as I'm not successful enough rather than it's actually an expectation that I shouldn't have my failing side or my unattractive side. And now the expectation that shouldn't exist now creates like I'm an imposter. I'm, I'm not who I'm meant to be to be in this position or in this role because of that unrealistic expectation that feels so natural because we're not often taught to stop and reflect on the simple yet profound truth that, you know, 
you, you've tried your whole life to be one-sided, your whole life to be positive, think positive, be one-sided, but you, you just never succeed at that. So if people don't succeed at that, then maybe it's an unrealistic expectation. Maybe there's a lack of awareness of the role the other half of us plays. Um, but just to complete that thought of, so, so, so the vicious cycle, then you subordinate, you inject the values, you don't walk your talk, um, you minimize, you feel like crap about yourself. Now you go and exaggerate yourself and you pretend you're something you're not, um, or you're ahead of where you're at in life. And now you get humbled and you get humiliated or exposed for the truth. And that humbling now feels humiliating, which means you're now beating yourself up and you minimize yourself even more, which makes you that much more vulnerable to infatuate with other people. And so the cycle goes around and around. So how do we stop that? What are the, the steps that we start taking very practically? Like I said, even for me, this is something that I know this theory and I still do this regularly. So how do we, how do we break that cycle? So I think it's necessary to state outright that like all worthwhile, meaningful things in life, there's no silver bullet. There's no quick fix. And, and I think it's the, the seeking of a quick fix that perpetuates that cycle. Because a quick fix looks something like going to a motivational seminar, a rah-rah, or surrounding yourself with yes men and people that just build you up and give you that momentary fix. But if we look at a sustainable um, approach and solution, which we're going to kind of contrast here with the virtuous cycle, the upward spiral, which we're going to kind of call the self-worth spiral compared to the self-esteem spiral, Again, there's nothing sexy about it, but it, it's just what's truthful and what works. And, and in the virtue cycle, the first step is to get real, <laughs> to get really honest with yourself about what your real values are, what your real purpose is, like what's really important to you, and also get real about who you are, where you are, and also who you're not and where you're not. So you just embrace the simple truth that your relationship is what it is. Your weight is what it is. Your bank account is what it is. Your knowledge is what it is, right? Just be honest and to yourself about what's truthful. And from that place, especially of recognizing what's most important to you, now you can actually prioritize that and start living your life according to that. Now, obviously that takes time, but it's an incremental journey where, you know, you know, prioritize what's most important to you. You set goals that are aligned with that and you actually start walking your talk. And because it's important enough to you, you embrace challenges, you overcome difficulty. So you feel there's value to yourself. You value having yourself on your side, if you will, because I can rely on me to overcome difficulty. I can rely on me to solve problems. I now value myself and I have an expanded sense of what I can achieve. And because it's important and meaningful, I spontaneously want to go after a more challenging version of that goal. And because I achieve it, I get even more clear on what's important to me. I get that refinement of clarity as I'm in motion with that value system. And then I walk my talk more, set bigger objectives, get greater clarity, and your self-worth keeps reinforcing in that way. Have you distinguished the difference between Sometimes you come across a person and you either feel that they are, let's say you feel they're arrogant. 
you know, they, but then someone else might, or they might say, no, I value myself. I value my time. I'm not going to waste my time. What is the difference between kind of what you're saying with that inflating yourself and actually just having that self-worth where sometimes you say, I'm not going to do that job at that price because my, you know, I charge more than that. Where does it become arrogance? Where is a true self-worth? Yeah. So that brings like a, a couple very important points. Firstly, I think it's wise to recognize that no matter how successful you become, there are people gonna, that are going to recognize that and appreciate that and admire that. There are people that are going to not even notice that and it's not important to them. And there are people that are going to feel outright challenged by that form of success. Like let's just use an obvious example of, you know, uh, oil company, you know, is going to challenge people that are pro, you know, the environment. So like the, the, there's no success that you can achieve that somebody else isn't going to perceive as an outright failure for progressing in that way. So you're not going to be liked more than disliked. So if we kind of put that aside and recognize, well, if I exaggerate myself above where I believe I am, I'm going to get people that humble me and bring me down. And their humbling will feel shameful and exposing if I don't perceive I'm that. But if I am in integrity with myself and I, for in your example, charge something that I perceive it's worth and I've got certainty of that and it doesn't feel like an elation to get paid that, it feels like a fair exchange, my own psychology and emotions give me feedback that there's no elation, then I'm being honest with myself. If in that context, they perceive it as a cockiness or an arrogance to charge something like that, then that's their perception of what something is worth or their ignorance rather of um, what value that's able to add, or it's just not in their value system. It's not important to them. They don't value it enough. Bec like, you know, for somebody, a Ferrari at $50,000 would be a bargain when it's actually $200,000. Um, but for somebody else, they wouldn't pay $10,000 for a Ferrari. It's just not important to them. And, and, and they'll, label that as ridiculous or arrogant to charge that when it's just not important to them. So there's a couple of nuances there. I hope that makes sense. It did make sense. I think I want to go a little bit deeper into that. And would you say there's a, a bit of a gray area when you are actually working on improving your own self-worth? And I'm going to go back to the charging certain prices for certain things. Is there a fake it till you make it area, you know, where you have to take that step and you're not a hundred, you don't have that 100% certainty. Um, I, I'm not sure. Is that something that you do or should you really feel a hundred percent certain that this is what I charge for the service? And if someone is not willing to pay it, they're not the right customer. Or is there that gray area where you need to also take a bit of a leap? Right. I think, sorry, I just want to emphasize that nothing I say I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting or encouraging people to take on board. I hope that whatever I say, people reflect on and observe in their own experience to see what is truthful and, 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 and what they can confirm has, has, uh, they can have a sense of certainty around. Now, I'm sure there have been people that have played the fake it till they make it game and may have been able to navigate some of that. I um, think it's much wiser to just be honest about where you're at at each moment of your journey. Like 
like you said, um, you don't quite have absolute certainty of charging this thing up here. Should you fake it till you make it? Well, no, there's a fee that you are certain about. Charge that. You know, if I reflect on my own journey as a, as a coach or facilitator, like I charge a very different fee today than I did, you know, 10 years ago. But if I tried, this is the paradox. If I try to exaggerate myself at that time, and try to be, feel more important, inflate my sense of importance through an exaggerated fee at the time, I would have felt exaggerated pressure and expectation that I did not feel I could deliver on, which means I would now actually associate a fear with getting new clients and actually have a hidden agenda to avoid new customers as opposed, and, and therefore not grow that fast, not have optimum opportunities to serve, develop and refine skills and gain experience. Ironically, paradoxically, if I just humble myself to my true certainty, which we all have, especially when it comes to charging something, you intuitively have a homeostat, like a homeostatic level where you feel certain. Yes. Below that, I feel that's not fair exchange. I feel I'm being taken advantage of. I feel I'm not going to sustain my enthusiasm to deliver that. I feel they owe me afterwards. I feel a bit resentful. And above which you feel elated, first of all, if I got paid that, and also anxious if you don't deliver. And like I said, a hinogen to avoid it. But like I'm saying, there's this paradoxical thing of now actually setting the fee that I'm certain about and now, even though it feels like reduced relative to my fantasy of what I'd like it to be, I can now, because I'm starting from a place of certainty, I don't have a reason to avoid clients. I feel like I'm giving them a great deal. I don't have exaggerated expectations of what I'm supposed to provide. So therefore, I love the opportunity to serve more people and I welcome new opportunities and I go after them and I get more and I act more and I gain more experience. And therefore, I actually can actually grow through experience and walking my talk and actually um, be a, a, a further ahead in a year or two or three, like the tortoise and the hare scenario, where I can actually grow, even though it feels more incremental and sometimes a bit slower, the real tangible growth is actually far more significant than if I had to fake it till I make it, have a manic depressive cycle of one extreme to the other. I understand. And how does this, personally, I feel like maybe these are just my values being projected, but I feel like the two places that self-worth shows up most is financially and in relationships. Would you agree with that? Or is that something that's just uh, important to me? I think that's values-based. I, th I think it, it, okay. it reflects obviously in every area of life, but yeah. Okay. So, there, but I would like to look into relationships. So how does low self-worth manifest in romantic relationships or in the pursuit of finding a partner? Well, I don't think it's all too different from any other human interaction, but let me take myself as an example. And when I was, uh, let's see, 20 years old, 20, yeah. 20 was a bit, uh, one of those big growing years. I think we all have like years where we grow more than others. Um, uh, and it doesn't feel like growth at the time. It just feels like a shit storm. <laughs> but 20 was one of those for me. And I had just um, come out of school, obviously, a couple of years before, where I felt I was, you know, 
a relatively important guy. I was like, you know, the rugby and the academics and the girls, everything was kind of going well. And I felt relatively kind of solid in myself. But a lot of it was a bit of an exaggeration because I privately knew that, well, actually, my parents are busy going bankrupt and I actually don't have any money to go to varsity. And this the social persona and sense of worth, which is clearly predominantly self-esteem at that time um, because of the exaggeration was, you know, the, 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 the what do they say? The, 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 the pumpkin and mice thing that the party was going to be over very soon. And the, the truth was exposed and that created a deflated kind of shame sense of self whilst I was now trying to regain that respect and admiration. I was looking to see, who am I supposed to be in the world to be important? And I did not love engineering. I was not inspired by it, but I felt, okay, this is a way to get a respectable career, to be valuable as a romantic partner, and to be able to compete in the, in the marketplace against other guys for the trophy girls. So I find myself in a deflated sense of self-esteem, doing something I don't love. So I'm feeling pretty down on myself. So I am now very vulnerable to infatuating so along comes this girl who from my vantage point minimized just looks like the most beautiful the most sophisticated educated intelligent wealthy family and you know that's me like i want to get married and get a picket fence and have babies and i want to be an engineer because she seems to respect that and her parents do too. So I'm going to exaggerate how much I want to be an engineer. But more importantly, I'm the underdog. I'm walking into that relationship as an underdog because of my subordination, because of my low self-esteem, because I'm not living congruently. I'm not being who I truly am. So because I'm not living according to my highest values and my purpose, it's very difficult to be honest about to recognize where my power is in each area of life. And now I'm unconsciously comparing myself to her and go, okay, well, in the physical area, she's a bit above me. In the education, mental area, she, even though she's a doctor and I'm an engineer, she's congruent being a doctor. I'm not. So, and I didn't feel, I'm not, I don't truly own my intellect there because I was resisting my true purpose and things around human behavior. So, in the mental area, I'm I'm feel less empowered. Vocationally, it just feels like because she's more congruent, she has a higher probability that she's going to walk a talk and succeed as a doctor. I have an intuitive, secret sense of like, I don't have what it takes. I, I can intuitively feel the, the bigger the challenges get with engineering, I'm going to give up, and I'm not going to be as diligent, and I'm not going to be as successful as her vocationally. Her family's got money. I can't see my form of wealth socially. We were kind of equal. I could see that she was a bit insecure socially and unconfident. I had more friends and I kind of owned that. So it kind of felt more equal there. But at the same time, I felt I was exaggerating myself and I was a bit of a fraud. And there was a lot of other parts of my aspects of my life that people didn't know. So again, socially is kind of close there. And physically, I already said that she kind of feels above. So now I'm a complete underdog. So the underdog always wants to tie the overdog down, you know, wants to make it official. And I distinctly have this memory where we were lying on a blow-up mattress because that's what I had in my apartment at the time. And she tried to be sincere and cute about it, but I remember her looking at me and going, 
I think you love me more than I love you. <laughs> I, I think you love me a bit too much. And even though I intuitively knew what was going on there in the moment, I ignored that part of it. And I was trying to like see a romantic side to it or some cute thing in it and just kind of ignored it. But the reality is I did not own my power relative to her. And the more I exaggerated her, the more I judged myself and beat myself down and didn't value and love myself, the more I showed up with that energy and that self-image that the world, including her and her family, started reflecting back to me by virtue of how I portray myself, how I show up socially and the self-consciousness and the certainty that I present or don't present. And it started getting to a point where the family started saying to her, like, you know, we can't tolerate you dating this guy. Like, it actually demanded her three times to go break up with that white trash. And the third time she finally followed through with it because she couldn't handle the pressure they were putting on her. But relative to my exaggeration of her, I did convert myself into a bit of white trash in the sense that I was exaggerating how uneducated I was, how not wealthy I was, how unsophisticated I was. And I was, I was exaggerating these traits that they were labeling as white trash. Um, and I was unable to value and respect myself whilst I was not willing to see her downsides. And this is the vicious cycle again, because because I feel so low about myself in my life, because I'm living so incongruently, I'm dependent on her as a trophy and her admiration and having her as my kind of possession to make me feel good about myself. So now I'm addicted to her attractiveness, to her amazing qualities, to her trophy qualities. And I actually, through my addiction, have an incentive to not see her downsides and actually remain subordinate, may remain cement my inferior complex or inferior perceptions. And the bottom line being that there's an extremely low probability. It's, it's, let me rather say it's very unrealistic to expect her to love me, to value me as an equal partner. And for me to feel fulfilled in that relationship, as opposed to have a constant anxiety and a fear of rejection, because we only fear the loss of that, which we're infatuated with. She could be grateful to be in a relationship with me and be relatively grateful to not be in a relationship and not feel like she's losing a whole identity and a whole sense of worth, which it was for me. The moment she dumped my ass, I was depressed for like three months. I don't know what depression was. I don't have that language, but I can now look down and going like, you know, I did not have any gratitude for my life. I felt like there was, you know, no reason to feel grateful about life or enthusiastic about anything. And, and my sense of importance in society was taken away from me because it was all localized in her because I had exaggerated her to such great heights. Um, so I just think it's very unrealistic to expect other people to love us and value us when we don't value ourselves. And it's very unrealistic to expect ourselves to be able to love and value ourselves if we're living incongruently. And obviously by incongruently, you're saying not living true to your highest purpose, not 
basically doing the things you want to do, whether that is in career or daily actions. This is having that imposter syndrome, trying to be someone else, trying to um, mimic someone else. These are all these, these are all the things you mean, right? Exactly. Congruence at that time would have looked like what it actually emerged to be two years later, which was, well, no, a few years later, uh, which was to recognize that what was most important to me was human behavior and psychology and philosophy. And what emerged out of that was a career in coaching and teaching, which seemed unfathomable when I was around her, but that's another topic. But congruence would have looked like me walking my talk and embracing that and starting to value serving people so that I can identify opportunities to be able to contribute through what's important to me and purposeful and congruent for me so that I can sustain that and eventually grow into, you know, where I am today, pursuing the career, et cetera, where my conception of myself is not an exaggeration. It's just to, uh, to, rec- to, to, to acknowledge the growth that came from in self-worth that came from pursuing that congruent path where today, if I had to somehow miraculously go back as I am now, I'd feel she'd be lucky to date me. Like I'm a catch relative to her at that time. But that was kind of inconceivable um, whilst I was trying to be an engineer. So I just want to wrap this up by really getting a few very, very practical steps that people should be taking, whether they are um, trying to pursue a new job or career, whether they are getting into a new relationship or looking for a relationship or whether you're in this relationship and you kind of feel your power is slipping or you're feeling what you said where you're wanting to tie that person down because you feel they are more of a catch than you. Maybe you can give us like three steps, questions people should be asking themselves or steps they should be taking to start increasing that self-worth in that moment and be more proactive about it. You know, that you don't have to lose the job or lose the relationship or live with this imposter syndrome um, until it sorts itself out. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of sustainable long-term solutions that actually will pro- uh, provide dividends over the long-term rather than some short-term fix. So I can't ignore the number one step would be to, to be congruent, to, to, to really reclaim who you are, to be honest with what your purpose is in life, what your life's demonstrating is your highest value and live in congruence with that. Design your life incrementally, step-by-step. It's a long journey, but to be intentional about filling your life with those priorities daily, which is another way of saying becoming more yourself daily, where your magnetism and self-worth and self-respect starts expanding and other people pick up on that. And you are now more valuable in the marketplace uh, because you value yourself more and you feel more empowered. I think secondly, as I mentioned, um, <laughs> what I failed to do at that time, which would have been useful, is to, it, it's such a paradox, right? Like we love the, the butterfly stage. We love the infatuation phase because it feels so lovely. <laughs> but to not let that distract you from the simple truth that in a few weeks or months, you're going to be in a relationship with a real person. So you may as well get there as quickly as possible. And um, so you can determine whether it's someone you want to be with, but more importantly, 
be an equal and not be taken advantage of or walked over by virtue of simply taking like the top three things that make them most amazing in your perception and, and perhaps even better than you and that you really like see them above you and simply just try and find, you know, start off with finding five ways, five examples, factual examples, five ways in which they demonstrate the exact opposite. You know, if it's they, if they're so ambitious or successful or driven, you know, where are they not? If they're so intelligent, you know, where are they not? If they're so attractive, where are they not? And just get real. And, and it's not a matter of making yourself feel better or, or bringing them down. It's, it's just being honest to, to recognize the truth of that person and, and to appreciate that person. And, and um, paradoxically, that, that'll also make them feel more loved and appreciated and to feel more free to be themselves around you because they're going to feel you actually appreciate them. And, and, and we love being appreciated for who we are. And we love being in relationships and friendships with people where we get to feel we get to be ourselves. So that second step would help with that. Um, if I had to think of a third step, there's other things that come to mind in relationships, but it's not directly related to self-worth. So I think I'll just prioritize those two. All right. I think that's great. And then um, I do I do need to wrap up, but do you maybe have maybe just one point when entering into a new, maybe we can just take it generally, actually, when you've decided you want to start increasing your self-worth in this world so you can show up with more self-worth. Is it the same as you would do in the relationship or is there something else that you would prioritize there? It's the exact same, except one very practical thing that I did that made a dramatic impact that, again, is a bit of a uh, um, delayed gratification tactic to some degree. But if I had to just do one single thing in the last 10 years that dramatically helped was the practical, metaphorical, pragmatic declaration to yourself that you value yourself is to save your money. It is such a symbolic yet tangible way of walking your talk of proving to yourself that you value yourself, pay yourself first. You know, otherwise you've got nothing to show for all the effort and, and, and work that you put into other people and customers and your company and your boss. Like what have you got to show for it? All the things you buy with it is gone within, you know, a matter of time, but there's something some spiritual thing, some something around the impact valuing your money has on your psychology and the opportunities that emerge out of that and, and your awareness that expands and what you perceive as possible for you and the opportunities you give yourself permission to go after. It's just the most practical thing that everybody can start today. And again, when I started it, the amount I saved felt a little bit depressing, <laughs> felt insignificant. But within a matter of two years, I could see I was a different human being literally from that one action. That's so interesting that you bring that up because obviously most people would think of finance as something so, I think people would think of it as something far removed from self-worth. And you even mentioned like there's a spiritual thing to it. And I know a lot of people don't would not mention spirituality and finance in the same sentence. But when you brought it up, it immediately took me back to when I started actually saving money. And exactly like what you said, it felt ridiculous what I was saving at the time. Um, I was like, well, I'm never going to get anywhere with this. And then there really is that spiral or, you know, snowball effect. And I definitely also realized my um, 
my self-worth growing. I didn't label it as at the time, but I felt I just felt a little bit more confident. I felt um, a little bit more secure. I felt more secure in my relationship. I felt more secure in my career. Um, yeah, it really brought a lot of order to my life. And you also mentioned two years. I also noticed that two years, when I looked back, I was like, I'm so glad I started doing that two years ago um, by increasing what I was saving and obviously wishing I had started earlier. But I love that you brought that in um, into this. And I think I would definitely love to do a whole conversation around finances because sometimes it seems so big and unattainable. And I know having started prioritizing finance on a very, very small scale and the psychological benefits and changes that that had and how my life started changing and opportunities started coming up. It's definitely something that I'd love to explore more. So thank you for bringing that into self-worth. So I can't, I just have to jump on something you said that's so important. You said, I didn't quite think of it as self-worth growing. You said, I felt a bit more confident. I just want to emphasize it's probably a summary to the whole conversation that I would suggest is most important relates to self-worth is don't look to experience your expanded or growing sense of self-worth in the feelings of confidence. That's a transient emotion. Rather paradoxically, look to experience your sense of self-worth through not needing to exaggerate yourself not needing to be admired, the ability to proactively humble yourself, to actually embrace that you are both sides. Like being authentic selves is sometimes a buzzword that everyone's going to now admire me. No, no, authentic self means you're truly embracing the truth of who you are. So just as a practical kind of thought exercise, seek to find your self-worth through humbling yourself, feeling stable and certain, and actually not needing and resisting the the desire to exaggerate and seek admiration. That's beautiful. It actually just made me think of a little clip that I saw recently with Jim Carrey. I don't know if you saw it, where he was kind of announcing that he's not going to be acting um, as much. And he said, um, I, I don't want to get, I might get the order wrong, but he said, I have enough. I've done enough. I am enough. And it really exactly what you're saying there is what I got out of that it's almost it could even be a letdown to people on the outside it's something that's so intrinsic you're like I don't need to do that thing for you to think I'm worthwhile anymore you know it's you could see when he said that in that quote like for me as a someone who wants to see him act it's almost like disappointing but obviously for him there's that inner peace that he has had this realization um through a lot of obviously introspection Exactly. Which goes back to the very first thing I said about the vicious cycle, subordination. The moment we subordinate and exaggerate others, we feel something is missing and lacking in us. And now because we feel something is missing, we're not good enough. Now we're going to this game of, oh, I need to exaggerate. As opposed to resist the temptation to exaggerate. Don't focus on fle fleeting transient feelings of admiration, confidence. Focus on recognizing how nothing's missing in yourself and appreciate yourself as you are, as a connection to self-worth rather than trying to connect to it through confidence. All right. So I think we're going to wrap up this episode here. And if anybody would love us to revisit this topic, I feel there is still more here. Um, let us know. We can revisit this topic on another segment of conversations with coaches. And then Jean, how I wrap up all of my episodes is I ask my guest, what does it mean to you to live a world-class life? Be no surprise, I guess, for me to discover and live your genius, to be 
unapologetic, unapologetically congruent. Thank you. All right, John, until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Taz. Thank you.